the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business podcast. I'm Laura Slattery and on the show this week we'll be talking big numbers with the third bailout of the Greek economy and the lengthening odds of winning the lotto jackpot. Later, Owen Burke-Kennedy of the Irish Times will be here to talk about how 47 is the new 45 for Premier Lotteries Ireland. But first, we have White Smoke, a Greek official was reported to have said on Tuesday. As we record this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, a third Greek bailout of as much as 86 billion has been agreed in principle. On the line from Athens, we have Greece correspondent Damien Makanola. Damien, how is this news being received in Greece? Well, we're, we're really just digesting what's in this 29-page uh, memorandum, new memorandum of understanding between Greece and the Troika. Uh, that was published uh, by, by a news agency earlier on today. Uh, and there's, there's quite a lot in it. Uh, so people are, uh, have, have, and the media have the task now of going through that to try and work out what, what, will, what will this mean in, in concrete terms uh, for the Greek people? What will it mean for, for taxpayers and for businesses? Um, but I, I think we can, there, there are two ways of looking at this. One, one is there will be a lot of political fallout uh, from this document in, within the Prime Minister's party, within the series of party. So there'll be one, there'll be a lot of reaction, political reaction to the New Deal in that arena. But I think for the public, it, it will take time before they fully realise uh, what all this means. I think the government can, can consider itself lucky that the deal was struck in mid-August in Greece when, you know, Greeks have basically, uh, they're on holidays, they're away from home, they're, they've, they've switched off, they're on the beaches and they're, they're, they're enjoying the warm weather. So for a lot of people, they'll be returning from their holidays and that will be their first opportunity to find out what uh, all this will mean for them. So the government can certainly uh, count as blessings that uh, the, the deal has arrived uh, at, at, at what is considered you know, downtime in Greece. So is there, I mean, as you say, we don't quite know yet, but is there a sense that the Greek government uh, has capitulated on this or are they, you know, is there support for, for the revision in how they've approached the deal? I think, yeah, there's very few people in, in Greece who are genuinely in, in support of the deal. Even the government themselves, and the prime minister himself, uh, has been openly reluctant about the whole process, but he sees it as a necessary evil. He said, uh, he said today that uh, uh, this will help Greece, it will bring a, a, fi- a final end to the economic certainty that the country has been experiencing uh, in the last uh, six weeks or seven weeks due to the, the, the closure of the banks and, and also beyond that and in, 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 in the wider crisis. It represents a huge climb down a new term for the government, there's no doubt about that. And within his own party, within the Prime Minister's party, there are those who say that it is, it is a complete capitulation uh, for uh, everything that Syriza stood for and, and won the election in, in January on. And also, uh, they also point out the, the, the referendum that was held in July on an earlier bailout offer. They say that this, this deal coming six weeks after that, uh, after that historic uh, referendum is really too much. So there, there are a lot of people who, who uh, dislike this deal, even the opposition parties who are more, pro, pro, who are more sympathetic to the to to the troika, they have major problems with it. But uh, 
the consensus is that it is a necessary evil. There, there is no other alternative or no other alternative or credible alternative has been put forward. There are some very detailed reforms that have been uh, specified as part of this agreement. Can you talk us through some of the more interesting ones? Well, yeah, there's four pillars to this um, to this deal. One is, you know, some of them are, are, are economic, uh, restoring fiscal sustainability is one pillar. Safeguarding financial stability is another. Then in the third uh, pillar, there's a lot of stuff there about market reforms, abolishing sales periods, for example, in, in, in the market. Um, there's stuff in there about allowing non-prescription drugs to be sold outside of pharmacies. In Greece, at the moment, you can't buy aspirin in a supermarket, for example. So uh, there's a lot of stuff like that, about liberalizing uh, the marketplace, opening up closed professions like engineering and, and notaries. Uh, and then there's also stuff in there about privatization. So uh, pretty much the Greek government is going to have to move very quickly to to privatize uh, the two the country's two biggest ports in Piraeus and, and Thessaloniki. It also has to move ahead with uh, the privatization of regional airports, which had been more or less agreed by the previous government, but had been put on the back burner by, by the present government. So they've been told they have to move uh, on that. Um, and then there's stuff in there as well about um, reforming the state and and, 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 and and making public administration more efficient. So it is, it, it's, it's a very, very detailed uh, set of proposals. Um, the Greek government will be obliged to pass a law uh, supporting all of this uh, by tomorrow night. So it's, everything's moving very quickly, uh, as has been the case with all of these memorandums with the Troika in, in the last few years. So MPs will be, I think, vo- voting on a on a bill tomorrow that will consist of two articles as far as I know that would probably be a midnight vote as is usual as is the case here. Okay I'm also joined by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Cliff what do you make of this deal? Yeah I mean I suppose one of the interesting things over the last few days has been uh, there was such argument about all this uh, during July uh, and, and, and in the months leading up to that uh, fateful summit on July the 12th in Brussels I think everybody had thought that that more debate and uh, uh, falling out might lie ahead in, in, in negotiating the actual detail of the deal. And I suppose one of the striking things is how smoothly it's all gone, all seems to have gone in the last few weeks. Uh, everybody had thought it might take a bit longer, um, that the deadline of August the 20th next week, uh, when Greece needs money to meet this ECB payment, that might be difficult to meet. But it all seems to have gone very smoothly. Um, the, as, as Damien said, the, the Greek government seems to have, have, have decided that there was no other way to go but to sign up. Um, you know, that, that goes against uh, the election platform they stood on for sure. But uh, on the flip side, they're looking at a banking system that is still just crawling along with very serious restrictions on deposits, not operating properly, an economy that has been in free fall and, and, it's, and, and is still in recession. Uh, and I think uh, they probably realise that you know, whatever happens, they need to do something to, uh, to, to regain a bit of stability here. The things to watch over the next few days, um, as Damien said, the Greek uh, parliament is going to discuss the deal. Uh, it looks like it, 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 it'll be passed, albeit uh, with a lot of political fallout for, for, for the Prime Minister. Uh, then the EU finance ministers, the, or the, rather the Eurogroup finance ministers, will discuss it on Friday. And that'll be an interesting pointer as to, as to whether this can really go through quickly or whether it might just take a bit more time. Um, there doesn't seem to be any significant objections to the, to the terms of the deal. 
um, everyone seems to seems to believe that the Greek government has, you know, gone perhaps a surprisingly long way in terms of of, of agreeing to measures. Uh, but uh, as Damien said, I suppose. Th- there's also a recognition that there's a lot of opposition and that nobody in Greece is really for this agreement. So there are voices in Germany, uh, you know, political voices in Germany and places like Finland saying maybe we should take a bit longer here. Maybe, you know, we shouldn't sign up to this too quickly. So it remains to be seen whether it will all go through on the nod or whether it might take a bit longer. But it does now look like it is going to be uh, it is going to be done. All right. Yeah. I mean, you wrote in the newspaper this week that, that the agreement has come almost as, as an anti-climax. But there is mm. perhaps the possibility that there will be a few more cliffhangers to come. Um, Germany is saying, sure. as you mentioned there, that perhaps it will be best to wait, have a bit of a bridging loan in between. Is, is, is that is that wise? Uh, I, th- I think it would, you know, I think it'd be better now to get it done and to uh, get some funds into the Greek banking system, get them operating again and try to regain some element of stability in Greece because the longer this goes on for the worse uh, conditions in the Greek economy and for the Greek people are going to be. So I think it would be better to get it done. But whether or not, you know, even if we assume that uh, the initial agreement is signed, uh, you know, there are still difficulties I suppose that could emerge in, in, in the short term and in the long term in the short term it's not clear whether the IMF are going to be involved from the outset in terms of actually extending money um, they may say that they want to, to wait and see what Europe comes up with in terms of debt relief for Greece because they don't think the whole thing is sustainable without that happening uh, the Germans have a problem being involved in something that the IMF isn't involved in um, so you could see a month or two down the road that there's still scope when the real negotiations start on on, on debt relief for Greece. There, Greece, there is there is, there is scope there for, for certainly for difficulties and and, and uh, difficult discussions. Uh, beyond that, you know, there's the wider question of will will this work? Can this work? Uh, I mean, one analyst has said it, it's little short of fantasy. I think. I think they said that because the, mm. the, the economic targets on which it's based are, is fancy. That's the, that was their argument. But what, how do you see that? Is, is it achievable? I, I think it, you know, it, it does look very difficult. Um, we haven't seen the full lineup of economic forecasts yet, but uh, it does appear that uh, the economy is expected to shrink by more than 2% this year. It's expected to remain in recession next year. Uh, in that kind of scenario, it's very difficult to increase taxes and cut spending the risk is that you keep just driving the economy lower and that your debt burden gets worse that you fail to close your deficit in in a way if we look back at what happened in the Irish economy in the first few years when we went into our bailout there was relatively little progress on the public finances for the first two or three years basically the economy was still basically stuck in a rut it wasn't in recession but it wasn't growing and it was only in the last kind of year 18 months or so that the figures have started to come right because growth has started to come back the risk for Greece is that it you know it won't reach that point when when the growth dynamic can take uh, can, can take effect and the thing will just chunter along and start to miss its targets uh, and, and you know one of the real you know, the obvious issues uh, that that the IMF and, and pretty much everybody else realizes now is that Greece needs fundamental restructuring of its debt uh, and the question is whether that can be politically agreed in Germany and Finland and all the other European countries. But the question of debt relief has kind of been postponed until yeah. they see implementation of these terms. If that's correct. I mean, there's a lot of ifs yeah. here, isn't it? There if is, you do yeah. this, then maybe we'll talk about that. There's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There is. Um, there's, there's, there's huge uncertainty surrounding this. Uh, and I think that's a pity in a way because 
the first thing that you need to happen when a bailout program, when the bailout guy, people go in, if you like, is for a sense of stability to be restored. So again, if we look back at what happened in Ireland when when the bailout came in in, in, in November 2010, there was a couple of rocky months uh, after that, uh, but things did start at least to settle down reasonably quickly. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't a, an imminent feeling that Ireland was going to go bust, uh, you know, or that or, or, or that we were in kind of real difficulties. I, th- I think f- for that situation to be reached in Greece, everybody has got to be seen to be on the one page. Enough money has to go in up front uh, to, to put the banks in a solid position uh, so that everybody realised that the government is going to have enough to keep going uh, from, from week to week and month to month to kind of kill off that uncertainty that's uh, that's there at the moment. That's the first thing. And I, I would be a bit worried that, that you know we're not going to get to that point that people will be saying, oh, Greece has to implement that reform before we pay them more money or before we give the banks money and, and, and the thing just doesn't never properly takes off. Um, coming back to you, Damien. I mean, is is there a feeling that some some damage has been done in 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 recent weeks by the the previous negotiating stance, or or do you sense that there's still quite a lot of support for that? Well, I think uh, well, it really depends on who, who who you talk to. This is one of the the ironies, I suppose, of the situation. Um, the the popularity of the prime minister is still very very high, uh, even though there are many people who say that he is ultimately responsible for Greece ending up in midsummer without an agreement and having to uh, shut down its banks and impose capital controls. Um, there is also a lot of criticism of Mr Tsipras for, for his holding of the referendum and then his apparent U-turn after that. But despite all of those criticisms, he's, as I say, his, his popularity uh, remains very high and that is probably one of the reasons why he's uh, keen to hold elections. Um, we could see elections by late September, by September 20th is one of the dates that's, that's been put around. And it is in his political interest to hold elections as soon as possible uh, before people start getting uh, demand notices in the post for property taxes and for, for various other taxes or before farmers realise that they're that the duty on the diesel they use in their in their tractors is going up from from 66 euros per thousand liters to 200 uh, euros per thousand liters by the 1st of October so he needs to move fast politically if he wants to uh, capitalize on his on his current um, political popularity because is there is there a feeling that some of the measures here are more akin to interference sort of ideologically motivated rather than being uh, perfectly um, designed measures for, for saving the Greek economy I think yeah I mean well yeah I mean it's clear if you look that's the general perception here that these that these a lot of these measures aren't really uh, designed to help the economy they're designed to bring in tax and to to get Greece uh, in a position where it can pay off this huge mountain of debt that it's uh, laboured with. I mean, some as I said, some of the measures in there are really, I think Cliff kind of said it, they, they're wildly optimistic and I, I just don't see how they can be implemented uh, very easily. You know, the, the, the tax on, on agricultural diesel is one example. I mean, the jump is huge, you know, from 66 euros per thousand litres to uh, it'll be 330 euros per thousand litres by the 1st of October 2016. There's other stuff in there for um, self-employed people. They will have to end up paying uh, their tax for the year ahead in advance by up to 100%. You know, that, that this kind of stuff uh, is really, uh, it, it will be very difficult for people to understand the logic uh, the, the logic behind them. There, there's, a, there's another one in there as well about 
taxing Raki, which is kind of a Greece is pushing, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's kind of uh, oh, traded by farmers uh, without being taxed. And there is also a move that that, that all uh, non-bottle sales of this uh, alcohol will be banned. And these, these are the kind of issues. That issue in particular is one that can ignite the population against the whole package. You know, so it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how all these things will be viewed. Cliff Taylor, just returning to you finally, um, an EU source said today that they believed the the agreement was a careful balance between measures that support growth and those for fiscal adjustment. So it's back to stimulus versus austerity really there, aren't we? Yeah, I guess they would they, they, they would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, it's not, uh, fr- fr- from a quick look at what was proposed, there's not much in the way of stimulus in it. And I suppose the nature of these programmes is uh, that, that, that there isn't, that the first goal of them is to try to stabilise the budget position. Um, now, we got away with it in Ireland, I suppose, from an overall economic point of view, because while well, the domestic economy was crushed for a few years, we had an exporting sector, which at least kept things going. Uh, and, and now that you know we've come out of the bailout, the, the economy has returned to growth. I, I guess the worry for Greece is that it's much more reliant on the domestic economy and that if the domestic economy is crushed by the kind of measures that Damien was talking about, um, then where is the growth going to come from? Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to Damon McAnulla and to Cliff Taylor. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Lotto ticket sales have been in decline. As it turns out, more of us are concluding that if you're not in, you can't lose. To reverse the trend, new private operator Premier Lotteries Ireland has decided to increase the price and add two numbers to the draw, making it more expensive to play and even harder to win the jackpot. Irish Times business journalist Owen Burke-Kennedy is here to explain the logic behind the move. Owen, can you talk us through the main changes that lotto buyers will notice come September? Yeah, come September, I think the first uh, lottery with the new price changes will be on Saturday, September the 5th. And uh, players will be faced with a bigger price. Uh, The minimum cost of two lines will move from three to four euros. And the 45 number playing format, or matrix as they call it in the industry, will move to 47, an addition of two new numbers. Now, the addition of two new numbers means the uh, chances of scooping the top prize, the jackpot, will move um, from around 8 million to 1 to 10.7 million to 1, nearer to 11 million to 1. Now, I'm reliably informed that uh, that puts it statistically on a par with uh, uh, getting attacked by a shark. Uh, but the person who told me this didn't specify whether you were swimming off Cape Town or taking a dip in Dollymount. But anyway, the odds are are ridiculously long. So, I mean, you don't need to have passed honours maths to realise that this makes it harder to win the lotto jackpot than it does uh, that it was previously. So, why are Premier Lotteries Ireland sort of saying this might actually help ticket sales? Well, uh, 
it's it's interesting to note that psychologists call uh, refer to this as the kind of sweet spot of risk taking, and it, it refers to the fact that minuscule investments, which are too small to be considered financial risks to consumers, uh, is the basis on which world lotteries are run. So basically, most of us kind of know in our heart of hearts that the odds are ridiculously long, but we don't think the risk is uh, that much to stop us actually buying a ticket. So the actual nuts and bolts behind the changes are the primary lotteries, Ireland, realised that uh, in rollover jackpots that exceed 10 million, they get sales bounce of up to 80% uh, compared to the smaller jackpots of 2 and 3 million. So they believe by... uh, raising the likelihood of these rollover jackpots occurring more than they do at the moment, which is twice a year, they will increase sales, not only for themselves, but for the retail agents and, of course, for good causes, which are the charities that benefit from the lottery. At the moment, if you win if you win the jackpot, obviously you're absolutely delighted and thrilled and um, enjoy the rest of your life sunning yourself in um, Hawaii or wherever it is you fancy going. But if you win five numbers, if you're tantalisingly uh, one number short of getting the correct six, um, the payout isn't maybe going to change your life, is it? You're, you're totally right. The payout for matching five numbers, which is an extraordinary feat, uh, is only €25,000. Now, the bookmakers offer much longer odds on doing such such a thing. So, Premier uh, Lodgers Ireland have increased the minimum payout for such a feat to 100,000. Um, so, that will please some uh, players. And there's also uh, additional prizes for matching two numbers plus the bonus ball. And there's a new um, there's new prizes based around Lotto Plus. So the softener in the whole equation, I suppose, is that they have made uh, the payouts for smaller prizes a little bit more handsome. But ultimately, the jackpot prize is going to be uh, much longer. The statistical chance of winning the jackpot prize is going to be much longer. Now, you may actually realise that the sister group of Premier Premier Lotteries Ireland, Camelot, in the UK, recently added 10 numbers to its playing format, uh, rising the matrix from 49 to 59 now, that changed the odds of winning the jackpot in the UK from somewhere around of, in, in the magnitude of 14 million to one to 45 million to one, which mm. is a whopping change. So the, the changes here are much less, but nonetheless, they will, they will aggravate players, especially the fact that the new private operator has had a pretty bad honeymoon in charge. It's, it's been in charge basically um, the best part of 10 months. And in that period it has uh, suffered a number of technical mishaps and breakdowns culminating in the cancellation of a lottery for the first time in its history earlier this year. Now, its reputation, therefore, is is, is rather tarnished uh, with the playing public here. So the price change and the lengthening of the odds will probably be met with a certain amount of annoyance. And, of course, people will blame the fact that the government chose to bring in a private operator. Yeah, so there's a feeling that... um you know, whatever they say about um, additional prizes and good causes getting more money, that they may in fact be creaming more profits out of this. Well, there's no doubt when the government made the decision to privatise the lottery, I think it was on the back of uh, 2012 when it was first mooted, the state was in a fairly uh, perilous financial state and what Minister Howland decided to do was to essentially front load around 400 million of lottery or future lottery earnings 
in, into selling off a 20-year license. Now, uh, that's going to come with a cost, and anybody who thinks otherwise is only fooling themselves. The exact cost is difficult to establish at the moment, but if the private operator was to, say, take a, a an income of 20 million a year for the next 20 years, it would barely break even. So we can expect their income to be substantially more than that, up to about 40 million a year, uh, if sales can recover from the crash. And at this point, they haven't. So that's another factor into the whole equation. Privatisation may actually be judged ultimately on how much money accrues to good causes. That's probably the most important metric for the Irish taxpayer. Um, yeah, because politically it, that looks good. Um, you know, it, when they bring out their figures, that, you know, if they can point to more money going to charity, then there's an, almost a feeling of, well, we forgive any other change or any other mess up. If 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 you can get a nice uh, photo opportunity with the deserving charity, then everything's okay. Well, I suppose we can't complain if they're drumming up uh, more money for charities. But I know individually players will be angered by the the lengthening of the odds of winning the jackpot. But Yes, I mean, ultimately, if the government can get away with getting 400 million, building a new children's hospital, of which 200 million is is already earmarked to fund, and uh, raising money for big uh, for for charities and for good causes, it seems like a win-win situation. Of course, we'll have to see just how much the new operator creams off the top. As we mentioned, uh, a certain percentage goes to good causes, but but playing the lotto, it, it's still gambling, isn't it? Really. Yeah, well, that's that's the big question. I mean, uh, modern lotteries like to refer to uh, their business as gaming. Now, people in addiction circles think this is a kind of lexical sleight of hand, so to speak. It's, there is a risk of addiction there, isn't there? There's no doubt. And the, 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 the modern lotteries uh, systems, they want you to view their product like you might uh, a packet of crisps or a can of Coke. You go into your shop and you pay a small price and you get a lottery ticket. They want to distance themselves from the gambling industry. And for, as I've said, many people in addiction circle, circles, that's, you know, uh, a bit of a sleight of hand. Um, also, they're aggressively marketing their product, sending people emails to remind them of draws. Um, I don't know, some people think this is like a barman tapping in the shoulder to, to go up to the bar and have another drink. Um, there was a big um, launch of um, its uh, online service last year, and that's well, been well supported by ads, uh, kind of humorous ads featuring uh, the guru character sitting on top of a mountain. Um, you know, there's, there's still time to, to play Lotto before the deadline. Um, but the, the online playing, I mean, that, that kind of, for me now, I have to say, I have played online quite a few times, and it is very seductive, especially as if you do a few lines and you may match a few numbers, you will get this email the next morning that says, you know, hi, Laura, we've, we've some exciting news for you, exclamation mark. Your ticket number is win a prize, exclamation mark. And there is this 30 seconds, which, 30 seconds between, you know, that email and, you know, by the time you've logged into your account and see that, you know, the amount that you won was one euro or two euro or if you're lucky, five euro. And you, you sort of get addicted to that rush, that, that sort of the hope that just descends. I mean, is there a feeling that maybe the online playing is more addictive? Well, absolutely. I think you put your finger on something that's very crucial as part of the selling of the new license uh, Minister Howland opened up the online channel which had been previously heavily restricted. It used to take players up to 48 hours to register online. Most of the time people would just drop uh, the registration process because it was too cumbersome. Now you can register within minutes 
um, age verification processes are there, but it's questionable just how uh, tough they are. They say they have uh, self-exclusion measures. They say they have, uh, you know, spending limits. But all these things uh, don't exactly um, deter people from essentially gambling online and doing it in sort of an addictive uh, manner. So, yeah, I mean, that that is an issue. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 one of the one of, one of the key issues. Um, and obviously the opening up of the online channel was the key carrot into inviting, uh, you know, investors in to buy the Irish lottery. At the moment, only about three or four percent of sales comes from online, which is very low. Now, if you look at Camelot in England, who's the sister company of PLI, the Irish operator, they have about 15 to 18 percent of sales online. So that's obviously, I'd say, in uh, PLI's kind of line of vision of where they want to go. Of course, that has implications for people, who, uh, lottery agents who are selling uh, tickets offline and how their trade will perform. But ultimately, the opening up of the online channel is the key risk in terms of addiction, no doubt. Because it does divorce it from, from that, you know, picking it up with the bottle of milk and the newspaper. Yeah, it removes the actual, I suppose, physical cash transaction, which is always a problem. And as we know from other areas um the online is a, is a, is an area where addiction seems to be rocketing yeah so i mean i've actually been in a national lottery hq in abbey street as i'm sure you have owen as well and i don't know if you've been shown around the winners room which is this very kind I have of actually, yeah, cream very and, and chrome <laughs> Uh, environment where I think that you sit there and wait in front in front of a, of, of a beautiful coffee table whilst they sort out the legalities and the financial transfers. And on this coffee table, there are a number of coffee table books with uh, such titles as Great Escapes Around the World, <laughs> uh, New New York Interiors, uh, Luxury Toys, colon, Classic Cars. And my favourite is one called A Hundred More Houses. So you've already got your first 100 houses. Here's another a uh, hundred more. Um, so, I mean, there is still that kind of, that fantasy element there that the hope is, will, will, will probably still continue, you know, whether it's four euro to play or, or, or three euro. Exactly. And I mean, how many times have we heard the, the phrase, you know, a harmless flutter that might just change your life? It is the absolute um, phrase that modern lotteries are, uh, modern ma- mass participation lotteries are built upon so yeah I mean they do trade on the dreams and I suppose that even at uh, four euros or five euros with a lot of plus it's still the same price as, as, as a pint of beer so you know it's it's definitely going to be uh, something that people are going to do the question is I suppose will will the price rise will the uh, lengthening of the odds you know change the sales pattern at the moment they've been declining for a number of years they were uh, they seem to be still in a kind of recessionary footing as of last year. So that's a that's a big worry for the new operator who has spent handsomely on the Irish franchise. So we'll have to see uh, just what happens in that space. OK, we'll have to wait and see. And um, best of luck to anyone who is playing the lotto this weekend. That's it for this week's edition of the Irish Times Inside Business podcast with me, Laura Slattery. Thanks to my contributors today and to sound engineer Gary White. This podcast is produced by Declan Conlon. You can find all our business stories, interviews and analysis on irishtimes.com forward slash business and on, on the Irish Times apps. Until next week, goodbye. Bye.